Love Life, featuring your hosts, Rebecca Detman and Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. This weekend, I celebrate the mystery of new life and new beginnings. Welcome to Love Life. I'm Rebecca Detman. And I'm Jane Donovan. And happy Easter. Yay! Even if you're not very Easterish, but we're going to make you... Take the four days off. (laughs) Yeah, we'll take the holiday, but not... Well, by the end of this episode, I think you actually will be feeling more Easterish because Jane and I would like to talk about the significance of this particular holiday. Um, Just because we thought it had been a while since we did anything spiritual, pagan, symbolic, earth ritual-based, etc., and that sort of grounded energy and the history and the wisdom of the knowingness which comes with what we're going to talk about from the ancient world today is something that we just get a little bit out of touch with in our regular lives. And it's always such a beautiful way to really just bring you back into the moment, into the now. And, you know, Beck, this is your topic. So I want to ask, See, she says that, but then she's got loads to say always. <laughs> oh, the number of times we start the podcast with me going, well, I don't know if I've got much to say on this topic, and then I think, oh, maybe I had a bit too much to say. <laughs> now, Beck, tell me about the egg. What's the egg about? What right. is the chocolate Easter egg about? All right, Jane just always goes straight to the jugular. I was going to do a warm-up act. Oh, were anyway. you? Oh. <laughs> That's all right. No, but look, okay, the first thing – you can do your warm-up act. Well, I'll do a bit of warm-up to get to the egg, just so there's context, because the first thing I want to say is, obviously we're Australian, and I think most of our listeners are Australian, second in the running is American, and from there it goes to the other countries. Am I no, wrong? No, that's all changed now. Uh, Beck hasn't looked at the latest stats. Oh, it's all right. Someone's <laughs> got to look at the stats, but it's not me. What do the stats say, Jane? Who's listening to the show anyway? Who's interested? Our beautiful tribe are everywhere. They are in 150 countries, but predominantly who's listening is US. Okay, so that means Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. By now we've tipped over and most people who are listening are actually Northern Hemisphere. So this is going to apply apply perfectly to you guys because you come from the half of the earth where these traditions were created in sync with the solstices and equinoxes and cycles. We come from the half of the earth that has a totally, totally different system. And for those who are here in Australia and indeed in South Africa and other countries that are beneath the equator, they know that we have very, very different weather systems. Um, and, you know, in Australia, there's places you can live for 12 months of the year and not even know what a season is because the trees don't necessarily change colour and it, does, it never snow, it snows and some people have never, my children, you know, I know people who are in their 30s who've never seen snow who live in Australia. So get your head around that. I've only, I've only seen it, uh, I've only seen it twice. In your whole life. Yeah. I went chasing, oh no, no, I did see snow. I went chasing, I went chasing being in a snowfall. Oh. And everywhere, every country I went to, every, every little village or place in Europe, I was like two days late or two days too early. You know, it just didn't happen. I've never stood there with it all falling down on me. And it's it's amazing because I know that you guys in America have had one of the biggest, biggest winters on record with regards to just the the blizzards and the storms and the amount of snow and the shoveling you have to keep doing. And just when you think spring's here, it snows again, and you're like, is it ever going to come? So down here beneath the equator, you know, certainly in Australia where, you know, we have indigenous native plants, gum trees, and all kinds of flora and fauna, which are really particular to down here. And, you know, the Aboriginals will uh, certainly in one of the districts that we come from up in the Adelaide Hills here will say that there's six seasons, for example, and that they are 
governed by you know when the season has started because a certain flower comes out so if this if that flower is a week late or a month early depending on the weather or the rainfall well that's just when the season starts it's not at a certain time on the calendar it's just whenever it appears you know oh nice six seasons yeah and then other traditions sort of have eight or three or like if you go to lots of different indigenous cultures they mark the wheel of the year in a really different way so what happens in countries like australia when we have these huge Gregorian calendar holidays like your Christmas and your Easter's and if there's others, I just what am I thinking of? Um, well, that's it. For they're the they're Christian. the two most obvious that that really, are, and even New Year's Eve in a well, New Year's is a anyway. Let's let's stick with Christmas and Easter for now because Christmas and Easter come out of very particular times of year. So, what happens in Australia when Christmas, which is all about warm fires and mulled wine and burning puddings and sleighs on roofs in snow is transposed into an environment that's barbecues and prawns. <laughs> prawns and on the barbie. Jane goes down to Normanville beer. with her bathing suit <laughs> and flies on the beach with a tinny and it's, you know, we don't have... Champagne, darling. Champagne. Of course, that's exactly <laughs> what I meant to say is champagne, champenoise. And... We we live in a country that is so divorced from the original meaning of what we're even talking about that nobody has a clue. So, you know, how three days after Christmas we went into the supermarket and there were already hot cross buns ready for Easter because it's a marketing oh, event. No. <laughs> and so we've, we've been preparing for Easter for some time because all of the chocolate companies are getting on board. They're advertised on the sides of buses. They're everywhere at the moment. And, you know, there's bunnies and there's eggs and there's all of this paraphernalia now nobody actually has a clue why there's nothing in the bible that says anything about a bunny or an egg and technically this is a jesus holiday so what's everyone talking about oh, that's my big question beck and i know you're going to have the answer <laughs> yeah, of course i've got the answer so the answer with all biblical holidays and the way that we traditionally celebrate them whether we're religious or not is all goes back to pre-Christianity and goes back to the pagan cults and religions of the old world. And all they had to go on back in those very, very dark, misty times before time when there were not the methods of communication and connection and education and technology and maths and all those things that we have now, all they really had to go on was suns coming up and going down and moons coming up and moons going down and stars forming into constellations and spinning around again and, you know, planets moving and weather conditions. So they base their entire world, their entire knowledge system, their entire religion, their entire worship on nature. And everything that we still have now in today's culture is based on that, but nobody has a clue because we are so divorced from nature and we only have to look at the uh, relationship or lack of that we have with our own bodies to see how much that has been lost and abused. We're pumping ourselves with drugs. We're trying to cut problems out of our bodies as if they can just be cut out. You can't cut, I mean, you can cut a tumor out, but you're not cutting the emotional problem behind it out, are you? You know, we are bathing ourselves in chemicals. We're sitting under fluorescent lighting. We're sitting in front of radiation, like computer screens, phones next to our heads when we're sleeping, inter interrupting our biorhythms and our everything. We are eating foods with ingredients in them that are man-made in factories. We're doing all of this stuff, which is so divorced from the nat natural beginnings that we came from, that 
I'm challenging everybody listening today to view this Easter as a call to get back to a natural rhythm and cycle. So why are there no eggs in the Bible? Because the eggs and the, the, the Mad March hares and the goddess Persephone and the goddess Eostra, which is where Easter comes from and Easter, were the pre, you know, like the Germanic goddesses and the, and the ancient classical goddesses who were the, the bringers of spring. And this is, Easter is, it's, it's the spring equinox is what it is. It's about the equinox, which is that time of the year where light and dark do a dance and start to shift over from longer days and shorter days and all that sort of thing starts to happen. So from time before time, ancient people would go out to their stone, standing stones, their forts, their monoliths, you know, their stone hinges, their tours on the hill, and they would go out into groves and they would go under the stars and they would go out and get ready for this big change between the light and the dark. And then one day, some religious types came along and said, yeah, that's all fine, but we really want you to do it our way. So can we just take the eggs and the, and the whatevers and the bunnies and stuff and can we just like lay them over the top of this book? And everyone went, yeah, right. We're just going to put a church here and you can bring all of your mayflowers or all of your holly berries or all of your pagan affixed, like bring them all in, that's fine. We'll, you can still kind of have some of that stuff. We're just, but we're going to call it Christmas now, right? And everyone went, yeah, all right. <laughs> and then it all got merged. So Easter, like, yeah, we've got, oh, bless her, one of my girlfriends calls it Happy Dead Jesus Day. And I know that's a bit sacrilegious for anyone who's deeply religious, but it is kind of funny. Happy Dead Jesus Day. So Easter is about Jesus. It is about death. It's about life. It's about rebirth. But that's not a story that came from the Bible. That's a story that came many, 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 many moons before the Bible was ever written or conceived of or Jesus was even born. I mean, there's strains of this in ancient Egypt. You know, there, there would have been strains of this probably back to the cavemen days, this idea that after many, many years, sorry, sorry, many, many months in darkness, particularly if you lived in the Northern Hemisphere where the sun kind of disappeared, if you're in Finland or Norway or Denmark or whatever, where the, the land of the midnight sun, you were in darkness. I mean, if anyone been to London, the sun sets at four o'clock in winter. Yeah. Here in Australia, we don't have to worry about those kind of problems, but they have a, SAD, a seasonal affective disorder. Like they have depression type syndromes over in those countries because there's such a lack of daylight. And in the olden days, they didn't have central heating. They had furs to wrap themselves in. They brought the cattle into the house to keep warm. The milk would go sour over the winter, so the dairy supply dried up. There was no fresh food. There was only salted meat, and they had to suffer through living through freezing cold with really poor stored and frozen food supplies for a long time, and that was pretty wearing and tearing. Imagine if you didn't like your in-laws and you were snowbound with them for five months in a row. Just imagine what was going down there. So when spring came, you can imagine the literal relief of throwing open the cabin door. Oh, my God, first of all, the stale air comes out. It's been in there all, all you know for half a year practically. Let's bring in the fresh air. There's blossoms everywhere. Everything's having sex. Everything's making babies. There's bouncing lambs. There's butterflies. There's bees. There's pollen. It's all exploding and blooming. Life can't be stopped. It's everywhere. And they used to have these old legends about the battle between the dark and the light. So for half the year, the holly king rules, and the other half of the year, the oak king rules. But there's other parables and legends there about, you know, like Demeter and Persephone and, and all of these goddesses where, you know, for half the year, um, you know, they're in the underworld and the other half they come up back into the spring and they find the light again. So it's sort of from the dark to the light, the light to the dark, the dark to the light, the light to the dark. And that's life. That's emotions. That's cycles, isn't it? So we've got eggs because, well, the chickens start laying again in spring. The birds start nesting again in spring. Everything's being born. It's fertility. It's new beginnings. 
It's about starting over. It's a fresh cycle. It's a new era. It's a new change. It's joy. It's excitement. It's fresh blood. You can channel all of these energies at this time of year. The thing that gets confusing is if you live in Australia and everyone goes, oh, hey, it's Easter. No, everything's dying right now. It's autumn. <laughs> it's autumn, idiots. Everything is, well, not everything because the gum trees here don't die, but for all the deciduous trees that have been planted, and it does get a bit colder here. If you live in South Australia like Jane and I do, it does get a bit colder. And um, I'm sorry, but it's hibernation time. We're not busting out. So you've got to know where you live and you've got to understand the cultural and you know natural rev- relevance to interpose over the top. Mad March Hares, the the Easter Bunny, there's lots of stories in the old pagan tales about the importance of the bunny and 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 how that's how that's linked in and the the Germanic goddess Eostra I think is particularly interesting and I think she was she maybe had a little familiar little pet um or she was connected to the hare as well. So you you understand how these ancient symbols, you know that like the cross that we put on top of the hot cross buns. I mean that's not religious either. It's a solar cross. It's from the pagan religion it's about the return of the sun it's actually a circle with a cross inside it and if you look at a crucifix a lot of the really traditional decorative crucifixes so there's the crucifix that's the you know the long point and then the little cross t-bar yes and then often they put a circle around that that's a solar cross it's pagan so wow we're we're two from here i mean so that's kind of a cultural background as to understanding why you do the things that you do so here comes along a holiday like Easter, and I'm saying, how can you make this apply to yourself as a modern witch or, or warlock? <laughs> well, you've given a beautiful way of, of how to uh, of celebration of new birth and uh, of new beginnings for those in the northern hemisphere. But we've got nearly as many listeners in the southern hemisphere, and it's so autumn equinox. Therefore, yeah. mm. can you share some of what the winter equinox mm. is about mm. so it's all the all the reverse and it's that beautiful time in your life where or time in time in the year where you have permission to feel like hibernating or cocooning you start to make ready for winter so that means there's things that need to be put to bed there's things that need to be ended there's things that need to be let go of or there's things you shouldn't be running out and doing like having too much energy or driving huge projects or pushing huge things because we're going into a period of what what traditionally should be quietness and reflection, hibernation, where you sort of restore and nourish and nurture and rest up. You do stay at home with your feet in front of the fire or the heater on or the hot water bottle and you do make chicken soup or warm, hearty meals that, you know, really sort of nurture you from the inside. And you may sit in cosy coffee shops with girlfriends with a little candle, having a cup of coffee, talking in winter. You don't need to go out partying. You don't need to go out beaching. You don't need to go out raving. You don't need to necessarily do those those really, really out there crazy things because it's a time for inward reflection and stillness, sleeping and, you know, sort of lying low. Now, I, I don't want you to be that extreme, but I'm just saying it's important as a spiritually conscious switched on person to recognize the times in your life that denote solitude and keeping yourself to yourself and doing your own private reflection. And it's also just as important to be able to recognize the times when energy starts to really gain momentum and it needs to bust out and you have to be free and you have to get out in the light and do, do, do. And there's different times of the year that really support those beautiful kinds of energies. So, Like I've said before on the show, you know, 
you can take your diary out, your, your scheduler, your planner, your calendar, and rule it up. Put in the two solstices, put in the two equinoxes. You might even want to put in like the full moons or the, the change, other, other interesting symbolic marks through, through the course of the year. You know, even Valentine's Day, Festival of Love, these are all laid over old Roman holidays, ancient Roman holidays. Christmas is laid over Saturnalia, ancient Roman holiday. You know, so how does that tie in? So, well then, but then Christmas was the birth of Jesus. So how does that tie in? Because a whole bunch of Christians went rampaging out across Europe saying, dudes, dudes, hey, guess what? We've got this cool stuff from the desert and we really believe in it and it's going to change your lives. And all the pagans were like, yeah, but we've done this for tens of thousands of years and we like it. And they said, okay, 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 well, you can keep the costumes, you can keep all the symbols, you can keep all the ideas, you can keep the food, but you've got to have a church and we've got different stories that go with it. And they went, yeah, all right. Or some of them didn't, and then they got killed. So his, his, his birth, which is very close to which was overlaid summer. On, no, his birth, which they went in and they said, all Equinox. right, what's the biggest celebration these pagans are up to? Well, it's this time of year because they had their own beliefs about the light and the dark and the rebirth and so forth. And they went, okay, let's just take our rebirth tradition or our birth tradition and lay it over the corresponding one in their culture so that they'll come to it more easily is what's happened. So was he not born on that day? Do you really think do you really think the Bible knew what December was back two thousand years ago? Did they even have such a concept? Maybe they did because of the Romans. I don't know. No, he wasn't It's just that's just my question. I'm sorry to put you on the spot like this, but I had the same question with his death and his resurrection. Yeah, no. Over Easter. We don't know when it. I mean, I'm I'm not a scholar of theology. Perhaps a scholar of theology would like I nearly to. studied it. Well, Jane, I can imagine why. <laughs> Looking at you, I can see it. I don't – look, I cannot answer that the way a master of theology would answer that question, but from my pagan knowledge, it's just been We've overlaid. We've listeners that are, so, that are, so maybe they'll – Facebook they'll, us. Yeah, let With us Facebook know. everyone. Just that I just find it fascinating. I mean, I, I absolutely – can see the blending of the stories. It's just, it's quite fascinating. Well, Jesus wasn't born at Christmas time, meaning in winter, because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, where it doesn't snow, does it? I don't know. People ring us up. I mean, no. There's a stable with shepherds and, you know, yeah. lambs. Yes. There's, I'm pretty sure there wasn't any snow in that story and there was no Santa on the roof, but who's Santa? He's just an old pagan figure. And look at St. Nicholas and all the old. These were ancient, ancient, ancient. Here's the Holly King from the pagan tradition. And then Coca-Cola put a red seat on him back in the early 1900s to make a cool advertisement out of it, and on it went. Like, it's it's just all overlaying of meaning onto old, old meanings. And you can pair back, like the layers of the onion skin, you can peel back the meanings on anything back and back and back and back and back and back till you get to the absolute bones of the story, the absolute raw bones. It's so interesting because I'm reading right now, this is a great book for those of you who are into this sort of stuff. It's a very famous old book called Women Who Run With the Wolves by Dr. Estes, Clarissa Pinkola Estes. And she is a master storyteller and collector of stories. She's gone all over the world to every culture and culture and tradition you can imagine. And she's collected fairy tales, but also just, just urban myths and, and legends and all sorts of stories. And what she does is she looks at the archetypes and she looks at how we've always told stories in our history and in our, in, in our culture because they actually help us understand ourselves at a subconscious level. It's all about the subconscious. So, you know, in a fairy tale, like you take Cinderella, you'll have Cinderella and then there's the two nasty stepsisters and the nasty stepmother and all that kind of thing. Well, they're not actually separate people apart from her. They're different 
factors of her psyche. So they're like the shadow side of her right. that's playing out. Right. You see? So it's, yes. it's a different way to look at our fairy tales and, and all of the, the, the colours and the animals and the symbols and the actions and things that happen in fairy tales, they're all heavily loaded with deeper psychological meaning to apply to our lives and how we navigate them. So the thing about stories is there's only seven stories in the whole world. No, I've heard this concept and I actually tried to research that at one point and it's all the Joseph Campbell's work, um, if you want to Google it, but there's this idea that there's only ever seven stories and every single story you've ever heard belongs to one of those categories of stories. So there's like the rite of passage or the, you know, the, I can't even think of them all, you know, there's the adventurer, there's the, the tragedy, there's the love story, like there's all these different sort of categories. And so the fact is that wherever you go in the world, you actually hear the same stories over and over and over. But even in completely divorced cultures or cultures that have never, you know, crossed oceans or like never had anything to do with each other, the same stories are there. Because you can find the entire story of Jesus and Mother Mary and all of that in Egypt with Isis and her son. They had exactly the same story. You overlay the two and they're identical. So it's it's pre-existed Christianity, that the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus has always been with us, but he has different names and, if, you know, different histories and, and slightly different details attached, but it all boils down to the same, exactly the same theme and message. Fascinating. It's so fascinating. I wish you could see my body language now. I've kind of crossed a leg over and I'm sitting back lounging here, <laughs> forgetting that I'm actually meant to be co-doing this show and just staring at Beck <laughs> in awe of her wisdom and knowledge on history is so beautiful. It's not quite practical, but I do have it all in my brain bouncing around in there somewhere. I mean, so this is the question, what is this all for? Why are we telling you guys this? Well, in Dr. Esther's book, she's got this lovely, she's got many lovely lines because she's a real old priestess. I highly suggest you read her work. She's just, there's no one like her. One of her lines is something about, you know, not that long ago and in the ancient world, women knew the smell of the iron coming out of, the placenta of a birth baby. They were familiar with that smell because they had to birth babies all the time on the floors of their huts and in their cottages and in their houses. Women knew the smell of a dead body because they were the ones that went in and bathed when their family members died and the children died and their parents died. They went in and washed the body and dressed it and prepared it for burial. Like they were in the blood and the dirt and the bones of life. And we are so sterile. We are so cut off from all of that stuff that when it happens, it's such a shock to us. Like, Oh, something's happened to my child. I've had to go into hospital and it's this huge big deal because, you know, we've got modern medicine now and miracles and things like that. Don't, you know, we don't have to deal with the ugliness of life. We don't need to worry about, you know, all the animals being killed off in the factory farming. We don't need to look at it. We don't need to look at geriatrics and old people doddering around and vomiting and losing control of their limbs. We don't have to worry about that. We just shut them off into nursing homes. We don't see the full spectrum of society. We, you know, somebody's got mental illness. They're wandering around homeless, muttering under their breath. We don't have to deal with them. We're just institutionalizing them or shove them into a homeless shelter. Back in the old day, that was the village. He was a member of the village and everyone had to look after him somehow. Maybe one night he'd stay at your house. Maybe one night he'd stay at mine. And that man had gifts to give everyone. He probably brought stories to the fireside, you know. And we live in these hermetically sealed, sterile bubbles of these shopping malls that we're endlessly wandering through under these fluorescent lights, just kind of glazed over, looking for the next hit. Maybe it's a drug. Maybe it's a fashion purchase. Maybe it's a shiny car. Maybe it's food. What's my next hit going to be? Maybe it's a like on Facebook. Oh, there's a hit. We just need, we're trying to feel something. And this is why our kids are cutting themselves because they're so numb. They're so desperate to feel something. They actually have to inflict pain into their bodies and watch the blood drip out to try and feel again. We're so numbed out. 
And this is why Hollywood movies are getting worse and worse. You look at things like Saw, you know, that, that franchise. Of, that, I can't know. watch any no, of those of things. Not. I can't even watch the shorts. You, no, I don't watch them either. You look at um, the extremes that some of the movies are going to, and even just the themes. It's all about dystopian future, oh, the zombie one apocalypse. That really upset me the most was, oh, now I forgot the name of it, it was three books first. And it's where all the children go off and at some game and kill each other. Yeah, Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Right. So we've got Hunger Games. Traumatised by that. Divergent. You know, all of these films which are kind of more and more trying to shake up the population because the population is so asleep and they're looking for the bigger hit and the bigger So we're so desensitised that we need more and more and more to actually feel something. So everyone's at the point now where they're like, well, we've seen everything. We've seen all there is to see. Try and amuse us. Try and surprise us. Try and shock us. So the storytellers in Hollywood are going to further and further extremes to try and do that. And at the same time, like, you know, why are all there, there are all these end of the world, zombie apocalypse kind of, you know, um, Armageddon type of movies? It's because in the old days, and I, why the old days? I'm only talking 150 years ago. The threat of death and the fight for, for survival was still extremely real. If you lived in the woods in America, you had to have a shotgun hanging over your door because there were bears and there were panthers and there were outlaws and there were very real threats that you had to go out and deal with every single day, male or female, you had to go out and deal with that stuff. You go out to milk the cow, there might be a panther there, a coyote or something. So those people were very in touch with the rawness and the preciousness of life because it could be taken in an instant. And it did. Half your children died. They knew it. We don't. We're completely numbed out, like I said. So we go into these Hollywood movies almost wanting to think, oh, my God, if the whole world stopped tomorrow and the internet shut down and technology stopped and aliens landed and a comet hit and the waters flooded the world and all of a sudden all this stuff, what would I do? And it kind of pushes us into these survival scenarios which thrill us a bit because they're tapping into our primal selves going, what would I do in that situation? Who, What kind of person would I be? Could I survive? Would I? What would I do if all I had, like when I woke up tomorrow morning, was my house and everyone in the street was dead? What would I do? Like, And it kind of makes us feel something, do you know what I mean, and get excited about something and feel passion again and go, I'd have to have a purpose, I'd have to live for something, I'd have to make shit happen, I'd have to evolve or evaporate, like I'd just have to, you know, have have something to live for and there's so many people right now and they're all calling up me and they're all calling up you, Jane, and saying, I don't know what my life purpose is, I don't know what I'm here for, I work in the bank but I feel a bit numb, I'm married to this man but I don't really love him, you know, my children are stressed but I don't really know how to help them. Because we're not living these deeply connected, raw, blood, dirt, earth, bones, enriched, natural lives. I need to stop talking at this point because Jane has to say something or it's not a love life show. <laughs> no, I'm actually, for the first time in 100 and, what is it, 15 whatever episodes, quite happy to sit and listen. It's beautiful, everything that you've shared. So I guess that what I'd like to say is that I think most Many of our listeners, not all of them, but many of them are going to go into the, you know, the next week with the four day holiday that really take the time to look at what rituals, what ceremonies, what, how can you create a festival that is connecting you to what really is important in your life? And that is, you know, is it who you are? Is it the connections that you have with loved ones? How can you celebrate that? How can you create symbolism? How can you create your own version of Easter to celebrate what's most important in your life? Mm. 
and do you get ritual. into the yeah the rituals. Do you spell? Go out and release something or bring in something in tune with what yeah. the season is doing. Light all your candles. You know, mm-hmm. write something out that you want to release and burn it. Write out what you want to bring in. Um, speak your words of your five love languages to all that you care for. Really take the four days to just be in those four days, not forward project. You can go for a visit down memory lane if that's bringing you beautiful togetherness with those that you care for through memories. But really take the four days to utilize as a gift of connection to you, connection to service, connection to Mother Earth, connection to all being one. This weekend I celebrate the mystery of new life and new beginnings. Thank you for continuing, 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 <laughs> continuing to support is what I'm trying to say. Continuing to support Love Life because it's your power that brings us power and keeps this fantastic vehicle going. You can find us on lovelifeshow.com or if you want to direct message us an idea for an episode on Facebook, that is uh, facebook.com forward slash lovelifeshow. And don't forget too, we love giving the five star rating on iTunes. Well, you don't, so if it doesn't you feel have to like five it. star, but you do, it would be great for you to leave any sort of rating or review. We are so. Oh, five. Okay. Jane says it has to be five or don't no, go. It doesn't <laughs> have to be five. No, it has to be your truth. You know that we only ever want the truth. We want the truth and we want you to subscribe to our RSS feed so you can stay in the loop and keep this community chatting and connecting and interacting and happening. So in this time, until this time next week, find the sacredness that this equinox is bringing you and discover the meaning for your own self. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening.